Clay on both the, the forum or the Discord. We don't really have a forum, but we have a Discord. Uh, and professional reviews. I've seen a few people mistake mistakenly say that this is the penultimate episode. Maybe it's just because it's awesome to say penultimate, but the, the second to last <laughs> episode of the season of Discovery, I had to confirm multiple times online that there are two episodes remaining. They are two separate weeks of episodes after this one. I was just curious about that. Why do you think that people mistake this one? Does this feel like a penultimate episode? Does Sukal feel like a penultimate episode? Uh, it kind of does, actually. It's, it's, is, it a, is it a two-parter? Is it the, no, the final? It's, it's not, they're the two final separate titles, two, two separate, separate weeks. Episodes. I mean, yeah, it does. It does feel like the they're closing out on the season. I could see this being a second to last episode because they do solve the main mystery in this episode, not completely fully, I guess, but they so they reveal it for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, People, I mean, is there a, is there a psychological underpinning to that? They're like, please, to, I, I wish this was the penultimate episode, but it, I, it, like, not even a totally like. I, I guess I could see this being. The second to last, just because I don't know why I need two more episodes. I was to- just going to say that the thought process might be, I don't know how they're going to get two more episodes out of what's left of their story. Yeah. But. All right. Well, well, we'll break it down and then uh, maybe that'll shed some light. Maybe we'll talk ourselves into an understanding of why people are so anxious for the season of Discovery to be over. It's called Sukal. It's the next episode of Star Trek Discovery. We're going to take a break. We'll play a trailer from the episode. For some reason, CBS All Access does not allow me to video capture their screen. They're the only site that, I, that does that. When I record it, it's just black, and I can't figure out how they've done it, why they've done Well, I know why they've done it, but I can't figure out why they <laughs> want to harm me or hurt me so bad. They've already given me Star Trek Discovery. So let's take a break. I'll play a trailer from the episode, which I can rip from YouTube, and then we will come back and break it down. Captain, the Kiev, there's a life sign. Someone is alive inside that ship. We need to set course for the Veruba Nebula. Hang on! Keep an eye on your radiation levels. We'll still need to be back in four hours. Whatever answers we find, I just hope they're enough. A ship approaching. She's got weapons locked. Ready to jump. No, we can't leave them. Sue apostrophe call is the 11th episode of the third season of Star Trek Discovery came out on Christmas Eve 2020 what a night to remember written by Ann Covfefe Saunders directed by Norma Bailey in universe date is 3189 in this episode Discovery ventures to the Verubin Nebula where Burnham Saru and Culber make a shocking realization about the origin of the burn as the rest of the crew faces an unexpected threat uh I kind of disagree with all of that, all of that assessment. It's not really an unexpected threat. Not well, maybe it's shocking. It's it's a realization anyway. But Burnham, Saru, and Colbert definitely make it to the surface of this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start with this one? Osiris back. Um, yeah, Tilly's in command. Burnham. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Doug Jones is not wearing Saru Saruvian makeup. Um, they're in a holodeck. There's a lot we could open with this. I I'll tell you how I opened watching the episode, which was they uh, opened on everybody still having drinks, commiserating about the loss of Georgia. Right said, after the last, right after me. the last episode, just take us right <clears throat> into some drinks. Yeah, it's like let's keep doing this. It's oh my god. <laughs> she um, can't really. She can't be dead if we just never say goodbye to that scene. Yeah, I don't know. It's. That scene bummed me out. I will say, 
So I was very confused about the last 10 minutes of this episode. Um, You've said that a couple times. You said that to me in text and on Discord. Yeah. So hopefully hopefully we can clear up exactly what's going on here. But um, overall, I thought this was one of the better episodes. Um, It felt it had the... A, a, a fairly Star Trekky uh, plot to it. I liked the idea of. Uh, I mean, I liked it because it's very similar to a, a thing that I actually pitched on the show not too long ago, which is some an episode about someone who only knows the holodeck and has forgotten about the outside world, which is essentially what they did. Yep. Um, we were talking about they, that. Were we talking about that in the context of an Enterprise episode? Yes. I think? Yeah. yeah, we were. I think, I think it was yeah. after Oasis with the Rene Aubergenois episode. We were wondering if there was ever a case of someone totally growing up within a holodeck, mm. I guess, yeah. Yeah, or if that. not growing up, at least spending so long in the holodeck that you don't realize that it's fake, Right. which is not the case here because he seems to call, seems to know that there are programs, but yeah. there is definitely a blurring of of reality and, and he doesn't know he here. doesn't know he knows the programs exist he doesn't know that there's an outside world to the program so yeah he he could th- theoretically think that his world is real but these programs are just holograms that exist i in think his that's world. the case yeah because yeah, he's he's equally he's afraid of that monster in a very real way and and uh and stuff like that um i thought this episode looked amazing Looks i great. thought that the the special effects team deserves a, a round of applause for this one because they they put out an amazingly detailed uh creepy set with a really awesome looking monster and it wasn't just all the money going towards different colored lasers shooting at a million different ships i think the monster looks great the monster's probably the most impressive yeah. thing that i've seen um yeah that was that was like movie level yeah special effects going yeah. on in this episode it was yeah. great the I think the the one, uh, so I so the portrayal of this this world within Sukal, who we even who we haven't gotten to, but within Sukal's world, is his world chaotic like that because the program is collapsing? Why does it look that way? Um, there seems to be from from what I was kind of uh, uh, gleaning. I don't know if it's if it's somehow connected to his own subconscious psyche because right. yeah because that monster and the description of the monster and the way the monster is controlled seems to imply that there is a connection to his subconscious that's making it look like that. So he projects this universe. I, I would essentially. Assume. I think that, that so, seems yeah. to be that seems to be the case. I the the only issue I have, and I think I do think it looks great. Um, I think the alien looks great. So my criticism of it is mostly whether or not it's conceptually the right thing to do. It looks mm-hmm. very much like a Lemony Snicket's adventure world. It's like this <laughs> fantasy sort of falling sure. apart world where you walk, you know, there's raging ocean beneath you as you walk down a narrow stone pathway to get to the castle that's at the end of the, the road. Oh, that that specifically, I was like, oh, they've entered the video game level. Now. Yes. I, I think most of it looks looking. like a video game. Yeah. And um, I was just, I, I find it, if I assume what they're doing is what we're saying is that it's supposed to be a reflection of Sukal's shattered psyche at this point, mm-hmm. where everything's very dark and scary to him. Um, I was I I was just wondering if I would kind of have preferred it to be more of a strange, unsettling world that is mm-hmm. it looks more realistic, like it looks like a world where you could actually exist in, but there's something wrong with the programs, like the programs sure. are sort of intimidating or scary or sure. something. 
it's just it's just the change in style to discovery discovery wants that more fantastical looking like magical uh adventure look to it and yeah i mean they 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 literally summarize this world as essentially being a fairy tale right once they get to that 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 uh kelpian book there and so yeah they I don't really, I don't have a problem with it. And I, I don't even really have a problem with it reflecting what Sukal is thinking. It's just, I, and I think that it looks great. It's just, I think that what it does is it's fairly representative of the storytelling discovery in general, which is that it looks great, but I don't know why they've made this decision to do this, to, sure. to look this way. It almost feels like it's a misallocation of resources in terms of like what the production is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I didn't. Ha- I, I did think it looked great. And if they had tied it more into Sukal, look, uh, Sukal makes it this way because it is that way, or it's the way that he feels. I think I would have been more up on it. But I, as it stands, I don't really have a problem with it. I do think it looks great, but it's a distraction. I think from what the actual interesting aspect of Sukal and his storyline is. Yeah, they definitely. Uh, it, this episode seemed very Chris Nolan influenced to a point because mm-hmm. it was. Uh, it was like a little bit of a little bit of inception going on, and uh, they show up and they see the remnants of Bane's prison from Dark Knight yeah. Rises. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, like uh, every all the complaints about the lack of production value in the episode on Book's home planet. Clearly, they just needed the time and money to go to this episode. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's no living room sets in this one, fortunately. Um, so I guess we should start there. Where the hell does this open? It opens with George Al, and then they mm-hmm. get sent. So they figure out that uh, this alien, the Kelpian ship that's in the nebula, they somehow discover it's on a dilithium planet. They scan it or something. Saru mm-hmm. uh, then reveals that he has known that the woman is pregnant and not dying from radiation, which took a long time for him to reveal that information, but he does now at this point, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go and they find it, and it's a Kelpian baby who's been raised, he's not a baby any longer, but he was a baby who was born on this, in the wreck, I'm assuming, and has only known the wreck. And his mother scientist made a holodeck program for him where he would live in until he was rescued and he would have programs that would teach him things about how to live and uh, how to act and stuff like that. And because he was conceived in utero while there's radiation, he's immune to dying from the radiation, I guess? Sure. Okay. And he's also the source of the burn, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Do you want to explain? Unless... Do you, yeah, go ahead. Do you want to explain this connection? Because I think this is, this is the big thing of the episode. Um, and there's a lot to talk about. But why, why don't you describe what your take on this is? Uh, well, the, he seems to be the source of the burn unless, they, unless that's some sort of undercut red herring thing that they're going to reveal next episode which is totally possible but i don't he gets he gets dangerously close to causing another burn right here right yeah Yeah. um so it seems like that it seems right now that he is the source of the burn which uh do you want to describe the process of of what like literally explain what happens he gets he gets if i remember correctly he gets scared and then he goes blah and then he screams. almost blows He's, up yeah i don't think they ever confirm that this is what happens but what happens is he gets scared from the demon monster that's in there and mm-hmm. he screams and a shockwave comes out of him i assume because he is now born of this dilithium world that he has some special genetic connection to dilithium yeah so when he screams it causes the discovery in the viridian ship 
to dilithium to start to break down. And Stamets has this whole running around with like a chicken with his head cut off saying like, shut down the power flow inverters or whatever. The dilithium is about to explode. So what this means is that the burn was caused by this Sukal character mm-hmm. screaming. His, well, his terror. Uh, if I had to get, well... So that's the thing, because you got to track it. So basically, essentially what it is, is it's very similar. It seems like it's very similar to how uh, Professor X accidentally kills all the X-Men. Right. Logan. Yeah. Same effect. But, you know, he has like a, a aneurysm and blows everybody up. Yeah. Um, Going go in his dementia, he, he, what is he, he hallucinates or something and just causes a bunch of X-Men to die. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he has a, a, a mental break or something. So I'm assuming, if I had to guess, if we're going back and tracking how the timeline of this thing he's like i think they said it's like four or five he's four or five when it caused the burn burn happens my i assume what's going to happen is that the burn happened when his mother died Mm -hmm. so his mother dies he has a massive emotional reaction to it and causes all the dilithium in the world to explode that's what i assume is going to happen because he screams the loudest then or is it disconnected to the scream and it's just his emotion I don't, yeah i don't think it's connected specifically i don't think it's a banshee situation where he's just screaming really loud i think it's, I, I think I it's li- emotionally yeah. i literally think it's a banshee thing i think that he has to scream for it to happen okay and- either way i think whatever the cause of the scream is if the scream is what it is is going to be an emotional response well, so it's so, six, six of one really so th- this is the problem i have with it i don't think he's going to go up and just like harness his power and scream at osiris <laughs> ship and her ship's going to explode but that would be kind of cool i, I like, could see that happening actually like black bolt from the inhumans so i guess, I guess my problem with this is that and is he is he unnaturally long-lived for a kelpian I don't point? know. I was wondering that myself. Yeah. Okay. Or does he? Or does his dilithium superpowers give him immortality at the same time? Well, the thing I was, I didn't, I, I don't know because what's built into the Kelpians up to this point, as far as Saru knows, uh, everybody else a thousand years later would know better than he does or we do. But Kelpians die at like thirty because they, they all them. go through that thing and they got culled and eaten or whatever yeah they get culled, the they get killed was. by that uh those yeah. alien that sort of harvests them or whatever so as far as uh, we've never seen a kelpian who's o- over like 25 or 30 right. or whatever and you know which is why seeing that old, old one, one. <laughs> is such a such a deal yeah um that being said i don't know i don't know if he's living extra long like you're saying because he's uh full of radiation or what because there's no, I guess the old one does prove the, that they the just live is. for a very long time. I don't think they say how old the old Kelpian is supposed to be, but Saru has a line no, about like no. I've never seen a Kelpian who has been this long lived. So you assume he's extremely old. Um, I, if I was him, I would have been like, I didn't know we could grow beards. I know, <laughs> excellent wispy beard. Um, so all right, so the Kelpians live a long time. I'm fine with that. I guess the the radiation killed all the other Kelpians, and he did not die because he was conceived in it. Um, mm-hmm. Just fine. I also don't care about that. I guess the the problem for me is that I suppose I like your explanation about his mother dying is what causes it, because the way they play it here is that his scream causes the har- the harmonics that shatter the dilithium crystals. So mm-hmm. when he screams, the special effect is to have sound waves come off of him. When um, 
That means he, since he was four, he has not screamed in his terrifying environment again because they don't keep sensing mm-hmm. this problem coming from this planet. Well, also, I mean, there's no ships around to be in, uh, affected by it. That's true. I guess we, we don't see whether or not. Well, so because uh, if like if it's if it's just a screaming thing, every time he turns a corner and gets surprised by the monster you would assume that he lets one of these things out but but he has he has he has not screamed recently either then because there's still dilithium in the universe yeah well so okay. he, he so has I not think... screamed he, you you have to make the point that his first scream that was caused the burn was the loudest he has ever screamed yes right yes that was a i, I think that the idea is that was an unnatural scream that caused this thing to happen. Um, I'm assuming. Let's say. Let's say you're right, and it's just a scream based response. Uh, even if it is happening, no one's going to pick it up because there's no ships around, and no one even knew this shit was here until Discovery decided to do very minimal detective research to find it. Has this show ever made the point that the dilithium? Wouldn't they have? Wouldn't they have been able to pin this by they realized the fact that the dilithium that was farther away from the epicenter of the scream is fine? Doesn't that have to be the the way that the the universe exists at this point? Yeah, you would think so. I don't think this is a very good explanation. Right, I guess that, I guess that's the point. The I mean, I'm, I'm I'm hammering out the the technical <laughs> aspect of this because I guess I don't have a problem with the technical I aspects think, outside of the I fact think that you're it, being it's not too clear. technical. I think you're being too technical for the show because what we know about the show is that they don't go on science. They go on faith and feeling. Right. So I don't think it's a matter of it technically being how far the distance of the sound wave of his literal scream goes. Right. I think it's going to be more of a of a uh, a personal uh, abstract thing. thing, Personal thing. Yeah. And I think that's my this is like I'm I'm actually kind of amazed how clarifying the solution of the burn has been to a problem of discovery which is that Mm -hmm. discovery loves epic storylines that are galactically influential that cause like huge problems across the universe right like they've Mm -hmm. had the red angel they have control which is going to destroy all sentient life they have the burn which has affected huge parts of the galaxy but what they're really interested in is personal trauma so Mm -hmm. they conflate personal trauma one person's personal trauma with a universe shattering output from it and Mm -hmm. what you end up with is you have these huge plot lines that deal with the universe at large and when you get to the solution you go this is very small and strange what what a Mm -hmm. strange connection that such a, a person crying has caused all of this trauma and it's not even if it is interesting on a small level, personal like Sukal, I'm interested in what Sukal has gone through. When I try to extrapolate it out to the larger universe, I go, "This is kind of silly." You know, <laughs> like this mm-hmm. is just a silly connection that they've made here. Burnham's mother being the Red Angel—it's this personal thing they think should matter, right. but it's having such ramifications down the line. Well, I think the reason that they're doing that is because when you get into cosmic level events. Your um, it's very it's very difficult to care about them. Like it's the stakes get they level off very quickly when you start escalating them into galactic and cosmic level events and stuff like that. Like there's 
once once you start talking about destructions of planets and galaxies and shit, it's like, oh, okay, sure, this is going to be special effects and stuff, but why do I give a shit? So what they're trying to do, which makes sense, is they're trying to link they're trying to link the large scale galactic events, which are pretty unrelatable, to something that is very personal and relatable. However, I think they're being too literal about it is what the problem is because I don't have a problem with doing that. I think Doctor Who does it really well. I think the reason uh, the Marvel movies work when they keep expanding the world out is because they are rooted in character work and rooted in in, in uh, uh, character change and struggle and stuff like that. Um, but they're being... I think this show gets too literal about the connection between a character's problem and the larger cosmic problem because it it's makes too, it's too direct. I think is the yeah is the it's issue. too direct and it makes things feel really small, right? So, in a way that it shouldn't. It should be the the uh, galactic level event should amplify the personal event. But what's happening in this show is the personal event is making the galactic level yeah. event feel really small. Yes, I would. Um, I would also say that this is a, it, it is a, it's a scale problem, but it's also a problem that minimizes what the the show should have been interested in here. So mm-hmm. if you do a galactic level event where the burn happens, stepping it down one notch to me. The intermediary step that's been missing that we've always said has been missing has been how has this affected the universe at large? Right. Like what yes. has this caused? From that point, you have our characters underneath that level of story, which are how do Burnham, Saru, and the crew interact with the new federation that exists in this new world that's happened mm-hmm. here? They don't do that. This is an, It's another discovery thing. They skip that middle step. They're not interested in what the world looks like at this point. They have a big event, and we're going to tie it into a character event right at the bottom. And it's, mm-hmm. it's too small. It, it's, too, yeah. it's too silly, and it's also... It's just not... It's not revealing of the characters in the story. Like it, learning Sukal did this is fine. There's not a. Re- I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's kind of silly that it's one little Kelpian baby screaming caused this whole thing to happen. But assuming, assuming there's still a chance they could you know undercut it or subvert it somehow. But yeah, assuming I I find that unlikely, but I'll, I'll hedge it and say assuming. It 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 completely skips anything about Burnham and crew getting to that mm-hmm. point. It skips anything yeah. about Vance and, and the Federation. It skips anything about Osira and what that means. And you've just solved the mystery without really going into what made it an interesting mystery. It was never an interesting mystery, but you've gone done away with all the trappings that would actually expose like how this has I- impacted stuff outside mm-hmm. of its discovery's insistence on the trauma of characters and what I think is mm-hmm. I'm sort of honing in on what my main criticism of discovery is, is that discovery, this title Star Trek discovery is not about physical discovery. It's not about exploration. It's about, they want the show to be personal discovery. They want it to be like sure. a character growth sort of trauma overcoming stuff. Um, sure. And I, I'm totally fine with that, but they can't, if they want to do that kind of storytelling, you can't have these huge stakes attached to it. You can't do these huge plots on top. Star Trek Discovery should be the adventures of a crew on a remote starbase or something, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. you need a smaller scale thing where you can spend time with the characters and all of these changes that have taken place with the crew where Tilly becomes the XO and then Tilly becomes the captain actually exist and feel real in a world. 
the problem with discovery, and I'll, I'll get back to you, I'm talking a lot, is that discovery is trying to couple the J.J. Abrams understanding of Star Trek, which I mentioned before is an embarrassment about Star Trek. It's not an embarrassment about Star Trek's details or Star Trek, the franchise in general. It's an embarrassment about the way that Star Trek stories used to be told. They go, it's too boring. Mm -hmm. We can't be boring like that. People don't want to watch boring shit on TV. What we're going to do is add a whole lot of excitement to this. Whole lot of excitement. But we're also going to try to tell a dramatic personal story on top of it. And they don't line up. It just doesn't line up. You can't combine those two, at least in this show, not in a very effective way, where the huge implications of this galactic mystery and the science behind it and how it's impacted things are also being paired with a story of telling people how they're growing up and developing as people. I think it's, it's yeah. missing on both fronts in that attack. I, I think they are not pulling it off on this show, but I don't think that you can't do it. Because, I mean, if you look at Guardians of the Galaxy, either one of those movies... Those are very small personal movies about Peter Quill lo- losing his mother and his family and finding his father and all this kind of stuff, which are are couched in these galactic level event. He literally fights a living planet in the second movie. Yeah, but but the story itself is about him coming to terms with his his father and his past and all that kind of stuff. The galactic so thing is, I would say is a, is a MacGuffin <clears throat> in that case, though it's the it's the driver of action. Right. I, I think Discovery's priority is that they shift, they, they misplace the priority. They want to show us the yes. results of the personal, but all they're interested in yeah. telling us about is the big mystery. Yeah. I, I think I think it's Discovery is too jumbled in that they don't really know what they want to show us, I think is the problem. Because, you know, I'm thinking back on this this season, and if my theory is correct about what caused the burn at being related to the kid's mother dying or whatever. Clearly, the theme of this season seems to be loss of family and loss of family figures and stuff like that. Because that's like, as I was watching this episode, I was like, didn't they already do this episode where they go on to the holodeck ship with the, the, what the, Burz, what the hell's the name of that oh, species? Uh, I can't, the bar, Barzan. Yeah, the Barzans and Non Bar- leaves. The, the seed ship. The, the seed ship, yeah. Black metal band from the yeah. Senate. I don't forget from. <laughs> who goes um, to jail for murdering other black metal artists. Yeah, yeah. When they go to the seed ship, it's kind of the same idea as this story, more or less, where yeah. it's like, oh, there's a holodeck thing that's being relived, and then somebody stays behind, and blah blah blah. blah. And it, all of the big story elements are about losing people and losing family. I mean, you're they've, they're jumping into the future. They've left everybody that they love behind. They've lost their family. First four the episodes, we had lost the Federation. Then we found it again, so it wasn't gone. Yeah. But we, we, you've, Michael you've lost, lost the institutions as well, yeah. Yeah, Michael thought she lost the Discovery, which is her family. The seed ship is about losing and then discovering family. Uh, she loses George Ao, who is a mother figure, at least on paper. Um <laughs> You know, and Saru discovers it. It's a Kelpian. George, show, George so. had that strange flashback where she lost her friend who died, and then we never learned. Yeah. <laughs> George Ao goes back to the mirror universe where she loses her family because right. she's got to kill Michael again. Like, it's clearly that's what the thing is. I'm answering the question that I had, I guess, in the previous episode about what is this season about. But the reason I had that question is because those stories, the, the stories that they're telling are not like supporting the theme throughout a whole season it's they're very disjointed and they're about more or less the same thing but you're not feeling 
any emotional really attachment to it because it's so scattered because there's all of this other technical stuff because they're not getting these these stories about loss are superseding the world so we don't really know how this stuff comes in or why we should care about this stuff it's like okay sure an episode about book where he goes to his home planet and deals with the fact that he's lost his family only to get his family back again Mm -hmm. sure sounds great but I don't give a shit about any of this stuff because I don't know where it sits in the world that they've created. Right. So it's 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 I get what they're going for, but yeah, they're losing it in the details. They're losing it in the structural concepts of of the world that they're building because they're not building the world. Right. I, I would agree. I think that the the problem there is that the backdrop to the story is not established, and if it's attempted to be established, it's through strange post nonsensical statements like we have to get the federation back and you go why like everything everything seems i don't know i don't know what the downside of the federation not existing is at that point so when you don't establish what the the world is that everything's taking place in the one off stories feel like they're just being pulled out of thin air because mm. they are not tied down to things and it is surprising like the theme has been fairly there since the start but it's not played in a coherent way, which I think just ties back to the fact that the show is just, it can't balance episodic and serialized storytelling in the same. Yeah. It hasn't in, figured it out. yet. It can't figure it out. I'm, I'm not sure why, because other shows do it. Well, um, the, the, the biggest problem I think is that they might be attempting to be Star Trek episodic too much. And the stories feel disjointed because they are too reliant on telling like this adventure happening here in this one episode mm-hmm. I, I they, they, they need to figure that out if they're going to do anything um but after that it's i'm so i feel i'm a little bit surprised that you're higher on sukal uh his his thing or whatever he's causing than i expected although you seem to be hedging oh, a lot I, and you I, think that more is going to be coming out of this i don't think i don't like it okay. i just <laughs> i i think it's it's you know it's in it's in line with the rest of the show where it's something that is a lot more abstract causing that uh causing something very literal to happen so you kind of have there's a lot of suspension of disbelief involved in a show that is traditionally a lot more hard science quote unquote based yeah. and i'm not saying i'm not saying that they needed a dilithium uh soundwave advisor to tell them the the ins and outs of how that would work or something like that it's just i don't know it it, it is they seem to be making I think the biggest problem they have with this show is they seem to be stuck between whether they want to be Star Trek or whether they want to be Doctor Who because it's Doctor Who is a, is a time travel science show that leans heavily on fairy tale aesthetic and they don't really apologize for it and they don't really try to explain it. A lot of the explanations for stuff is the Doctor going like, I don't know, why not? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it works totally fine. But in this show, it has such a pedigree to it that i don't think you can really do that or at least if you're going to do that you have to go all the way with it and i don't think that they're doing that Mm -hmm. yeah um there's a lot i think i think there's a lot of uh bad writing unsurprisingly in this episode that is uh fairly laughable when you look at it and i think leads to the disjointed nature of what's going on 
Saru, Saru's interest in the Kelpian child is too strong for me to the to the point where he's risking discovery because mm-hmm. he's like I have to see who's down there. The Kelpians still exist in this universe. Mm-hmm. He could go right. and visit. Kaminar and see what the Kelpians are up to and see what they've discovered. They almost do because Osiris hanging out over there just right, trying to taunt hoping them to somebody come over. shows up. Yeah. yeah. So while I understand I understand Saru in season one, in the first half of season two being very interested in the Kelpian child. Mm-hmm. Saru's gone through his narrative character palette switch which is that his his things fell off and now he's not afraid and now he's a competent captain Mm -hmm. he no longer makes sense to make that decision to me burnham then makes the wonderfully hypocritical statement saru is too emotional and we can't trust anything that he's gonna do so i need to i need to prepare a mutiny again to make sure that man she uh after george i was like you know you should probably be captain she didn't waste a second did she (laughs) Coming up with coming up with uh, reasons to uh, little finger her way into the captain's chair. It's just does Burnham not remember what she talked about with people literally the episode before her and books like listen, Michael, you're kind of you know your Messiah complex. You really think you ought to take everything under your hands? Like, yeah, I know, book. It's a real problem. I got to deal with anyway. Let's go mutiny against Saru because he's being a real problem, and I'm right about what's what's actually going on. Yeah, and then, it's amazing to me that they call that out and then they just don't try to subvert her at all or subvert the fact. Like, why be so meta and then just to, and be and just be like, yep, that's just how it is. That's just, uh-huh. that's just what she is. It's a character flaw that's not a flaw. It's just a character trait that happens. And mm-hmm. the, the other aspect of it is um, Tilly gets promoted here. Uh, well, not promoted. promoted. She, gets, but, she, she takes yeah. command of the um, discovery. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, on a... On a technical level, like a Ludo narrative or whatever, it's um, you do realize <laughs> this is the first time she's ever taken command. And I was just thinking back, like, yeah, I guess you do want to give like your lieutenant the ability to sit there during times of no stress, just so that he has a sense of what's supposed to be going on. Right. And um, a very Rick Berman. I was just picturing uh, Rick Berman calling up uh, Alex, just saying, "Oh, you know, give her." Give her a little button on that chair. Let her, when things get really exciting, just let her let her rub that button. It's like, what if what if when she gets stressed, she just undoes her zipper just a little bit? <laughs> just, there's enough space down there. Just get some. Fingers. Happy birthday, Rick. What is the bump on the chair? Like, I, I, th- that's, that's it's just a. Uh, I don't know. It's just a a. a it's the thimble from Inception. You know, it's the no. It's just a humanizing worry stone type thing. That's all. It's but anyway, Tilly Tilly, Tilly takes yeah. command. Uh, just got me thinking about like, yeah, she's never, she's never done this. It's just she got the job. It just made her getting the job seem more absurd. It's like she's never really done anything that gave her yeah. experience to do this. I have to say, um, Saru, the the decisions Saru has made regarding Tilly being. As as he has been captain, remind me of I was working at a uh, elementary school one summer, uh, but in college where I was a janitor there, and the elementary school had gone had gone under some uh, staffing changes, and they had a new principal, and this was a guy that I knew because I remembered him. He was a, he was the music teacher at my elementary school when I was in elementary school, and he was now the principal of this of this school, and. 
this was a school that had been, it wasn't like a top tier school. They had their thing that they did and had not changed for like 40 years. So Mm -hmm. he came in and he decided that he wanted to make all these decisions because he was the principal now. And so he's going through all this stuff and opening up all these things. There's nobody here to tell him what what these these things are. He's just going through and making these executive decisions. And he goes into this one room and he finds a laptop and he's like, I'm going to put this laptop in the teacher's lounge because I think the teacher's lounge needs a laptop because I'm the principal. Mm -hmm. So he put the laptop in the teacher's lounge. Remember, this is the summer. There's nobody there, but there's people working on the school. So all of the doors are open. I leave for the day and I get a phone call from my boss maybe 25 minutes after I get home. She's in tears because somebody stole the laptop Mm -hmm. and he blamed her and he's now having this like meltdown because uh, it turns out that the laptop had all this data on it that the secretarial staff needed from these like classes they had done in this shit. His porn folder was on the laptop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it just like it just reminds me of that where it's like the guy, this guy who's probably in over his head is making these very official type decisions and not really recognizing what exactly he's doing. There's no experience to get the experience to understand why this isn't. I mean, in the case of the principal, it's like you don't put a, a laptop in an open room yeah. when you got a bunch of people Pri- working on the building. So yeah, steal principals, it, but- <laughs> principals typically understand the nature of people, even if they're not children, just what goes on when uh, when no one's around to watch other things that happen. Yeah, but it's like it's that kind of thing where it's like I understand story-wise putting Tilly in a position of, of command makes some level of story sense, but it, I don't know. It's just so strange to me. And like I was... I had a problem with acting Captain Tilly the first time I watched this, and then I because I, it's just preposterous. Where it's like she wasn't, she was barely an ensign. Sorry, is that, is that before this episode, or you mean you you mean the as I was of the first time I watched this episode yeah. when she becomes acting Captain, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me! But then I was thinking about it, and is it is this different, or is it the same thing as the way that they put Kirk in the captain's chair in the first Kelvin movie? Because it's essentially the same thing, right? Kirk is a cadet who ends up on the Enterprise. The captain gets compromised, and then he basically like backflips his way into command of the Enterprise. Yep. People don't seem to have a problem with that, so maybe I sh- maybe we shouldn't have a problem with acting Captain Tilly. Is I guess what I'm getting at. I probably don't because I don't I don't take the Kelvin movies particularly seriously. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they're just designed to be different. So in the movie Blockbuster sense, Kirk just leaping over the console and saying, I'm in charge now. Go, okay, that's fine. However, it's also based on what you know about the character of Kirk, that's a believable decision that you'd be like, I can see positives coming out of what he's decided to do. Mm-hmm. That he's kind of a hothead who wants to do this. Tilly is mm-hmm. a nervous Nelly who's being forced into the position to do it right. by Saru. Right. And honestly, it's the... <clears throat> It's the person with no experience being pushed into it that you think everyone else would have a problem. Be like, hey, what the, the hell? Like, I can understand yeah. the Kelvin Universe people being like, Jim Jim Kirk, yeah, he's a real up-and-comer. I can definitely see this guy doing something crazy. Well, even in the Kelvin movies, people aren't thrilled about it. I mean, yeah. Spock yes. shoots yeah. him off into a, an ice planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the difference. And yeah. what I really hate about the Tilly stuff is... Knowing smiles all around when she takes the chair. Knowing smiles all around, and there's a further point to that. Uh, what I really hate about the Tilly thing is that after they're going through the hologram Sukal program, which I actually liked and thought was good, 
They mm-hmm. immediately hit a brick wall with the Osira and Tilly showdown, which is mm-hmm. probably the second most embarrassing scene this season after the Detmer's I fly the ship and no one cares uh, monologue. <laughs> her and Osira, who is a terrible actress in this role. I don't know what, her, what about her in general, but this Osira character is pathetic. Um, her and Osira... Worse, better or worse than... Talia? What the hell was the Romulan from Picard? Oh, uh, Narek and... uh, Uh, No, it's an N, isn't it? Nerissa. Nerissa? Nerissa. Nerissa explains it all. Um, (laughs) She sure did in that show. No, Nerissa is a better portrayal of whatever that role was supposed to be. She's a better actress, I think, than than this woman who is just... Anyway, her and Tilly square off in uh, what I imagine... Two 13 year olds girls, two 13 year old girls arguing on Snapchat is about mm-hmm. where there she Osiris said, like, Osiris, like, I don't think you're up to. And she's like, I know you are, but what am I? And then the, the camera cuts to everyone on Discovery going, mm hmm, mm hmm. That's they like, basically cut to that, cut to that meme of the kids going, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The black kid falling over and is just looping over and over again. That's basically what it is. And you know, we've we've been talking on the Discord too about like who the writers of the show are and like what they're sort of drawing from. It just mm. comes to me. It's like a psych one hundred and one. I learned about the word projection, and I'm going to put it in a script right now. Mm-hmm. How does Osira know anything about Tilly? How does she know? Yeah. It's the first yeah. thing she says. She's like, "Oh, Tilly." You're not a captain. She goes, oh, you're right. You've shaken me to the core. It's like, it's just so I have, stupid. I have lots it's of so questions. It's stupid. It's, it's just, it's 13-year-old girls arguing. That's what it is. It's like, it's not intimidating as a villain. There's nothing being drawn from it. I'm not learning anything about Tilly. It's just this inane back and forth between two horrible characters. Yeah, I have a lot of questions regarding Osira. Uh, to paraphrase, I believe it's what they said about Richard Nixon. What? What did Osira know and when did she know it? Because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in this episode that I feel like happened off screen. She read Tilly's bio, be, her Wikipedia page, and knew yeah. she's a nervous Nelly. Yeah. Um, that scene, yeah, it was It was a little bit disappointing that they had... I don't know if this is the first time. I'm going to say it's probably not because Star Trek's been, a lot, in a, been a, around for a long time. But they had two female commanders in a standoff with each other and yeah it kind of felt like they were just high school girls taking shots at each other Mm -hmm. and it's like you know at first when they first went when the both ships cloaked i was like "Ooh, are we gonna get some like balance of terror type stuff going on and then they started talking to each other and i was like yeah this is uh this is not balance of terror they've been able to cloak this entire time why are they not cloaked why are they not cloaked all the time why weren't why didn't they just cloak while they were hanging out with no shields? Right. Waiting for Osiris to show up. <laughs> there's uh there's well, a, but why does it even cloak? What does cloaking accomplish in this episode? Does it do anything? Uh well, I think it's just a, so Osiris well the thing is, they cloak but they don't move. Right. So the two do- ships show up. <laughs> And then they both disappear. And then when they reappear, they're in the exact same place. It's like playing, like uh, if I, it's hide and seek with my kids where I find them and then they hide immediately in the same spot right afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> like my thought was like, 
why don't you fly to the other side of the planet or something? You know, so you're not into why cloak and then just not move? Yeah. What's the point? Just hang out. <laughs> I don't think they saw us. Um, that's really it. I I think that I think the discovery writers are. It's this. It's the problem that we mentioned before, where they're trying to make this an, an internal character-driven show, where the character changes everything. I feel mm-hmm. that they have no lived experience about like why people change or what they're supposed to change or like how people actually deal with problems. Like Detmer's post-traumatic stress disorder just goes away because she can fire the guns on the ship or something. And then Tilly is just in command and becomes commander. It's just... It's a kind of it's a I mean it's an ideology of like it's a mentality of knowing what the good outcome is but not the work to to get to that or something. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really strange and it's just such a leaps of characterization. To be fair though, Commander Tilly does allow the ship to be captured. It's not like she's Captain Kirk, where I mean, as soon as she hits the chair, she's making all the right decisions. No, she's she incompetent. She's incompetent. She fights off Osiris. The show likes the way she fights off Osiris, though. That's what you get from those glimpses right. of the crew members who are like, "Yeah, you tell her, Tilly." Yeah. I doesn't the, the narrative of it is much more interesting if Tilly is doing that, and the shots of the crew members of them going like, "Uh, like what the hell, what the hell is happening here?" You know, yeah, that's a better storytelling about Tilly learning something while under command make these decisions seem like they actually have some kind of ramifications to it. And when you have Tilly win, it seems absurd that Osiris just like, ah, never mind, I'll just board you and take over now anyway, mm-hmm. so no one can put up a fight. And, and you guys have all the badges, do- just beam away. How can you board anywhere and be held at gunpoint when you have a transporting badge that allows you to just get anywhere you want to go? Once they, once they do board the ship, they're there for a while yeah. before Anybody on the bridge knows what's happening. Yeah. Saved on makeup and, by having a lot of biker helmets too, which I appreciate. Anytime you Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I but the based on the helmets and the and the robotic delivery, I was like, are they gonna take the helmets off and she's got an army of droids or something? Yeah, I don't know. Could be. Um but yeah, it was uh, she's not if they don't come away from this experiment of Tilly being the captain with Tilly having her confidence like shattered and having to build herself back up, then I don't know what the point of any of this was Yeah, because she did not do a good job. Um, I guess if we're going by Carl logic, she did as good a job as she could given the circumstances that she was in command of a starship with little to no experience right. whatsoever in how to do that. Results don't matter uh, in Carl's eyes. It's just that you try to do something. Yeah, it's just the thought that counts. It's like what I... Why I stop getting Christmas presents for people? I think about it a lot. Yeah. And, you know that does all. That's <laughs> I, me- the point, I meant to right? do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but before we before we round out, I do have questions that I would like to talk out. Sure. About the last ten minutes of this show. Um, circling back to the Osiris stuff. When does she find out that they have a spore drive? Does anybody? Does she know what that is? I don't know if anybody outside of the Federation even knows what a spore drive is. Uh, because it's been right. So, so what? What the knowledge of whether or not Discovery's spore drive has spread to other places, and um, how did she learn about it? Because she doesn't know yes. about it because she knows that they need Stamets to operate it. Yeah, she seemingly knows how it works. Yeah. So either they've got someone on the inside, which probably not, 
unless that's unless we get the Admiral Vance turn and it turns out he's been feeding her info or something. But, right. Um, how does Osira know about the spore drive? Aside from the fact that last episode, Vance was like, hey, by the way, uh, watch out. You guys got a spore drive and she's got no dilithium. So that could that could be a plot point coming up. They, yeah, they have. Do you, do you really expect that kind of a turn there? Um, or like a Vance switch potentially? No, I don't. I don't seriously think that. I'm just trying to Connect trying to dots. rationalize how these dots that seem to be important to the story they're telling this season are being connected completely off screen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, I, I mean, it's. I was like, how did she find them? And book helpfully drops in. There are transwarp conduits that people have been using to get around. Uh, he says it's a bad idea for some reason. Though I don't really understand why. <laughs> she seems to be fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, another reason why I'm not sure why the burn's such a big deal. Right, it seems so like they've got just, a lot of options. People just wormhole around everywhere, um, which is yeah, I, I, I don't it's know. Like if about, all, it's like if all the gasoline blew up tomorrow, and they're like, we can't drive anywhere, and like, well, well we still got electric buses and stuff, so right. it's not still take the train. Still a full tank of gas <laughs> in my my F one fifty. Just hop yeah. in there and drive over. I don't know why Osira knows those things. I don't know when she learned it. I hope they don't do some kind of flip where she has been informed by Starfleet that this is the case because all that does, in my opinion, is just weakens the already tenuous no grip on what this show considers storytelling in the first place where things that should be built upon and would cause layered conflict in previous episodes mm-hmm. are just brought up in one episode right. and you you deal right. with it at that point. Um, that's why That's why this bugs me so much is because they are playing out the fine, the final steps of a story they should have been building the entire season. As I've been saying, the fact that nobody gives a shit that Discovery can do what it does in this world where dilithium doesn't exist is blowing my mind. But we're coming up to the end, so I guess we should probably do the last act of that story without doing the first two acts of that story. And when Stamets is uh, grabbed and forced to put on his little psychic headband or whatever, I thought it was a genuinely affecting moment because it's like oh Stamets is like if Stamets is compromised this is uh, extremely dangerous to discovery Mm -hmm. I was just like why didn't this happen in the third episode and discovery is hijacked for a while from them and at that you know when you have a crew being held hostage and Stamets is not operating uh, under his own power and stuff it's like oh there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you can do with that. There's a lot of like intrigue about the crew not having discovery or if they, they're being held prisoner aboard discovery while the Osiren group are doing whatever they want to do with it and they're mm-hmm. helpless to, to stop them. No, it just comes in, as you say, in the third act. It's like, well, we got to ram out the finish the story. And hey, guys, hey, uh, remember three episodes ago when you were like, hey, uh, that super intelligent planet we downloaded has actually been helping us do stuff on the ship. Where the fuck was that guy? Yeah. <laughs> he just lets them jump out of there with, with Osiris' <laughs> ship. They've established that this thing is built into the computer now and is actively making decisions and helping things happen. Shut the ship down. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so <laughs> that's a big question I have. Uh, secondly, I'm trying to parse out exactly how this works at the end. So Adira has a plan, quote unquote, where she takes Jet Reno's badge and sneaks onto Book's ship. And her pl- her entire plan, this is the plan that she came up with on Discovery, was to take 
anti-radiation drugs and beam them down to the people on the planet so they don't die while waiting for Discovery to come back, correct? Discovery to come back from where? Discovery was going to jump away. Okay. Because Osiris. Oh, the Osiris. So, okay. And they, you're they actually you're remembering people. way more than I do, actually. I'm, well, I watched, I watched it twice because I was really trying to parse this out. Okay. So my understanding is, is that's the case, is that Adira is going to jump down to the planet. But this is this is happening before they know that things have gone uh, bad. Discovery has been boarded. Yeah, Adira is going to jump down to the planet, and uh, Discovery is going to jump away. And they, she'll I'm deliver sorry the I, drugs. To yeah, I apologize down. if I misgendered her in my last talk. I, yeah. I, it slipped my mind. Um, they are going to give the people on the planet the drugs so they don't get they don't die and wait for Discovery to jump back. Right. Right. However, in that process, Michael jumps back onto Book's ship because the point of Book flying to the planet is to pick up the three down on the planet. There's no way Adira would know that anybody is staying down on the planet because the point of Book leaving was to pick them up. Okay. So I don't know what her plan is. Right. Because there's no reason she would know that anybody on the, anybody's going to be remaining on the planet. Right. And that seems to be like a driving point into this next episode. And so, and I, the only thing I can think of is it's just an excuse to get Adira down the planet so they can commiserate with Saru and Sakal somehow or somehow Gray. play into the re- resolution. Tie into it. But as far as I know, if I'm understanding what's going on here, that makes zero sense. <laughs> I only watched it once. And if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, please someone let me know. Because as I've as I've digested it, that seems to be what's going on. And it doesn't make sense because there's no way a deer would know that anybody was being staying on the planet because the plan was to beam them back onto Bookship. Burnham questions. Because even when Burnham comes onto the ship, Book says, where are the other two? And at that point, Adira has already left. Book, waiting for the away team, is surprised to find Adira aboard a ship. They say they are beaming down to deliver much-needed medication so they can survive until Discovery returns. They place the medicine inside their mouth and beam down to Book's frustration. Oh, they is Adira. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Reading the the plural they in a multi-character thing is just extremely confusing. They place the medicine inside their mouth and beam down to Book's frustration. Book beams a weakened Burnham aboard and gives her medicine, though she is so dangerously radioactive. Burnham says they will have to return for the others and will explain on their way back to Discovery. And then Book tells her that Adira just beamed down with the radiation pills. Okay. Yeah. So I don't I don't understand why that happened. I don't know. I um I wish I could hash this out with you i don't know i think my brain <laughs> my no, it's, brain, it's, it's, it's the thing that's just like it's not it's my brain is just shut down for discovery stuff like that um i think it's i honestly think it's one of those things where as they're making the show and writing it or whatever there's so much stuff going on that i think they just crossed just their lines character just needs to and, get there just get them yeah, there somehow i think they just didn't realize exactly what information they'd put out and how things were working out i mean my the, the, honestly, the thing that I thought most about Adira in this one is um, why did why was this character introduced in this season? Mm-hmm. What like you have a ton of characters and 
has there been a story for Adira? What's the story with Adira? Just the story lost? is that yeah, it's a lost story, and then Gray gets up, Gray leaves for a little bit, and then comes back. And he's, yeah, he's Gray just, just shows up, and, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I just needed a break." He did. He, anyway, did, he does the Ducat on. goes blind in the ending of DS Nine. He's like, "I'm blind," and she said, "Get out of here." And he comes back. He says, "I'm not blind anymore. I can continue the story." It's yeah. I what is that? What is that story? That story is I, awful. I think. I think they are going to play into whatever happens on with Sakal. What relationship um, do they have? What like what, I don't what know. common bond is there that it's about loss? loss. They know that they've I'm, lost I, somebody? Yeah, that's probably what it's going to be, yeah. That's Michael Burnham's job. <laughs> Michael Burnham tells Sakal what the emotional impact of this uh, state is going to be. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. All right, we're done with Sukal. Um Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash the Patreon.com slash the Penske file is the place to go to support the show. If you're so interested, a couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff, extra podcasts, extra poll access and things like that. And as always, our captain's just supporter, not poll access in any filthy sense, but you get access to vote on things. Uh, as always. Whoa, let's not, uh, let's not close any doors here, Wes. <laughs> As always, our captain's tier supporters get a special thank you. Special thank you to Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Andrew Turlog, Cardinal Doomsday, Nathan Elliott, Samuel Custer, Matt Cutler, Nick Sergi, Grim Santo, Sean, Christian Pouch, Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Chris Tinsley, Darth Moss, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Vault 13 Hero, Rune Vendler, HH28, Stefan Minton, Nick the Rat, Derek Zajak, Paul Roscoe, Jacob123, Point Extra G, Garoppolo John Zorn, Mike Harris, Eric Santuan, Kevin Lowry, Captain Brazen, Jakey's Gamer, Patrick Seba, Corey Martin, William Scheisler, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Dave Davies, and Olivier. Pardieu. Thank you very much for supporting the show and Discovery. We have two episodes I will of say, Discovery left. I will say, though, in summation, I did enjoy this one more than most of the, a lot of the other episodes of the season. I thought it was <clears throat> I thought the Sakal stuff and the Holodeck stuff was in pretty fairly engaging. Yeah. I, would, um, I, I, I like the Sakal Holodeck stuff. Yeah. I thought that, that was good. Um, yeah, the stuff happening outside on on the discovery, I did not think was particularly. Good. It's it's even the stuff that's happening in there. I'm still like, whenever Culber comes in and explains, it's like, are you just making this up, dude? And like everyone believes you. Like he's he's like, hey, he's, uh, you know, in utero triggering, uh, yeah, whatever. And then, and everyone goes, yeah, that definitely happened. <laughs> so it's just it's so unscientific. That's what this psychology one on one thing is with Tilly. It's like. I know you guys like the word trigger. I know that like trigger is something that's very big and you want to insert it into the script here, but it's like, how do you, how is the embryo? Like why use that word? Basically, if you're saying the embryo mm. was impacted or something, the, an embryo can't be triggered. Like, like the emotional thing of an embryo is not triggerable. You, you can't do anything to it. That will cause it to remember something. Well, I uh, tell that to the people outside your house with the signs. Yes. <laughs> Not pull a trigger. Who disagree? Talking the, who the, disagree with your with your views on on uh, when how early in life triggering happens? It's I just don't under it's that's the weak sauce aspect of it, and I I want this to call holodeck stuff to be better than that. I think there, mm. there's ripe uh, space to play in that universe, and especially play around in a holodeck episode for Discovery. I think that there's room to do it. It's just not Colbert does that a lot. And also, 
My other thing, sorry, my other favorite thing Culber does a lot this season is he he figures out ways to get out of hanging out with people on the ship yeah. by mentioning the fact that he was once dead. <laughs> He's always bringing that up. It's like, Culber, like why are you going now. down to the planet? You're alive now, Culber. How about you get over it yourself? Why are you going down to the planet? Because I understand what it's like to be lost. And also, you guys just bore the fuck out of me. I'm stuck in this room all day. I can't wear my cool hot club clothes and go talk to the admiral anymore because she got blown up why um just just a in a sense of being like efficient with your character management why is culber not the lead doctor on discovery why is that why is that other black female doctor always involved in every medical diagnosis is she she was in this one where where burnham's holding uh, yeah. books giant cats but every yeah. time there's a science medical thing to be explained do they bring that character in and i don't even know if culber is the chief medical officer on this ship at the, and at that point i'm like why why not why not have culber deliver those scenes for people yeah that's a good question if that's the case i did i was a little bit confused when burnham comes back onto book's ship and he's like you're you've got radiation poisoning you'll have to spend a lot of time with doctor whatever yeah that whatever that character's name <laughs> But at first, I thought. At first, I thought he said Culber because her reaction is, "Well, uh, yeah, let's talk about that after we finish this problem." As though she recognizes that Culber is stuck on the planet. Stuck on the planet, yeah. But that's not the case. I mean, it is the case, but they use she book uses the other doctor's name. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe if I I don't blame him. I don't want to deal with a fucking cat. The um, gets stuck having a de radiation a cat. <laughs> That cat, that cat annoys no. me. Um, fits in with all the other giant pussies on this show, though, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, I guess that's it for Discovery. We're done with Sukal. We'll be back with the next episode, which is not The Outside, which is the final. It's, there, is a, there is a tide, dot, dot, dot. It's taken from a line of Shakespeare. There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shadows and, mis- and miseries. In, yeah, and in miseries. On such a full sea, we are now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves, or we lose our ventures. All right. So we're there with There is a Tide. Thank you very much for listening. Patreon.com slash file. Glad to have anything you want to say quick before we go. Uh, check out our Christmas episode of Rotten Horror Picture Show. We covered 1974's Black Christmas, which is one of the first modern slasher movies directed by the guy that did A Christmas Story. I think Black Christmas is the superior Christmas movie because I do not like A Christmas Story. Um, and next week we will have a new badass. We're coming up on the end of that, season three for that, so check it out. That's it. And the Patreon content this month, uh, this month, Attack the Block, came out today. Not the day of this release, but the day we're recording that. And then we did Christmas in Connecticut. So if you're interested in those movies, you can support us on Patreon. Cool. Thank you very much. We'll be back with There Is a Tide, the pen- truly penultimate episode of Star Trek Discovery's third season. Let us know what you thought about this one. See ya.